I am very happy to be here. I came from uh, California, you know, in a um, world that is <laughs> unstable, chaotic, delusional, you know, deeply tragic. And I walked through this door. I'm a little bit emotional. <laughs> I walked through this door and I saw this altar. And I was stunned. To me, it represents everything of the teaching. I saw, I think she's Kuan Yin, I think, but I saw her as Prajnaparamita, the birthplace of everything, the darkness, the source. the mystery, the depth, the profound aspect of what we are that gives birth to this world of sentience, form, the darkness that we too easily ignore, forget. So, right away I felt my heart open and allowed myself just to sink into the refuge that that mystery represents. And right in front of Prajnaparamita is Siddhartha Gautama, not the Buddha, just a regular guy doing the same kind of work in his life that we do in our practice. I've come to respect the life that I, I, I don't know if I want to use the word exactly, so I want, what's a good word? The conditioning, you know, the, the bundle, the package of conditioning that we carry. Because the first, I think, thing that comes out of this darkness is the Buddha mind. Along with all the form, the darkness and the light are not separate things. They're intimately, dynamically interconnected, interwoven, <clears throat> inter-ours, Thich Nhat Hanh, I think, says. 
and and my way I think about it, I think my actually my experience is is that this vast quality of knowingness that each one of us is, when it becomes localized, it contracts and becomes conditioned. I think they're teachings. Probably Vasubandhu. Anyway, I don't know. It contracts and then becomes conditioned. Becomes conditioned consciousness. So for me, this altar represents all of that when I saw it. And then there's Manjushri. Oh, before I say that, I wanted to say, I have really come to respect our conditioned mind, or whatever, I think here you study the conditioned mind as different identities. I really have come to respect this conditioning. It's not something to get rid of. It's not something to turn away from or resist. It's not something even to fix. It isn't. It's something to acknowledge and something, you know, to uncover, to work our way through, to be intimate with. It is our path. It is our path to freedom. Because as we unpack, you know, underneath these different identities, underneath these twisted, what do we say, ancient twisted karma, and through this ancient twisted karma, it's not different, is this mind of awakening. So what we're asked to do is be awake, not be different. We don't have to be different. And one of the wonderful things about this Sangha is is the richness of the difference of what we are. So, um, in this respect for, for our, for what we are, is the gift of Sangha. Because it's in Sangha that we're able to, we are asked to, to stand up and be what it is we are in all ways. Stand up and be the conditioning. Stand up and be the awakeness. Stand up and be authentically what we are. And Sangha is, if I may say, it's not that we don't have difficulty in Sangha, we do, but it's a safe place to try and be whatever it is we are and make mistakes and be accepted. First, by yourself. We have to be acceptable to ourselves first. But sometimes, actually, it helps. That's why 
are there teachers here because teachers will accept you unconditionally with boundaries, with limits, with feedback, but unconditionally. And the teacher just reminds you of who you are, of what you are. So there's a, there's a koan that to me um, speaks about this a little bit. It's the koan, so I like this koan. Um, student, the teacher saw a student with his, her things packed. It was leaving. And the teacher asked the student, where are you going? And the student says, I'm going on pilgrimage. <laughs> and the teacher says, um, what's pilgrimage? What pilgrimage are you doing? And the student says, I don't know. And the teacher says, not knowing is nearest. And this nearest is really an interesting koan to kind of work with and unpack. Not knowing is uh, allowing the mind, the, allowing the small mind, the conceptual mind, the mind that creates other, the mind that creates objects, the mind that has opinions and judgments and so on. That mind that mind um, releases when you rest in I don't know. It allows actually things to be as they are. Just don't know. It allows the mystery to be tasted. You can taste, it's very close, very close to the mystery. So this not knowing is important. And it's a really good koan just to carry around with you. Instead of right away saying something about somebody, as if you know, you know, you've just characterized somebody as something, instead of that, just you can just say, when you hear yourself do that, you can say, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. I think Sukhurji has a book like that. What is the name of it? Maybe so. Not, not always so. Not always so. Same thing. But sometimes it's translated as um, not knowing is nearest. No, that's what I just said. Not knowing is most intimate. You can t you can taste that, can't you? Not knowing is most intimate. Because we're talking about this intimacy. me, when I hear that, it brings up uh, a, a sense, I think I can say, it brings up a sense of this awakeness is meeting the same awakeness in somebody else. That's what intimate is. 
Yeah. Or even if you're looking at a flower. Intimacy with the flower is understanding that life is meeting, is being with life. There's no difference. This is Sangha. It's kind of in the same way that we think that we have, there's a part of us that wants to keep doing. We, we want to do practice, for example. And we do need to do practice. <laughs> but in a deeper way, we're not actually doing. That doing part of us needs to drop away. In the same way that the conceptual mind needs to drop away at some point. And needs to open. This openness is the Buddha mind. We're all doing the hear the bird. It's that simple. <laughs> That's all. That's all. It's just the sound of life being life and it's the doing mind that needs to make more of it than it is because we suffer so we want to you know we want to rip ourselves out of suffering I was like that when I started practicing we want to you know grab after what we think is going to solve this problem of the world. And we, and we do, we do feel the suffering of the world. Because it's us, we resonate with that suffering. But in my experience, the way to uh, Peace, contentment, stability is not to grab. I mean, clearly that's a teaching, right? The cause of suffering is grasping <laughs> from a place of duality, right? A place of self. <laughs> it's not to grab. That's why Soto Zen is so, it's such an incredibly brilliant path. Because it keeps reminding us that we are already what we want. We, we can't not be already what we are. Did I say that right? Thank you. <laughs> All we have to do is like relax into that, back into that. So it's not a question of grabbing or resisting. It's a question of opening to what is, has, has a life arising. Our life is arising together, all together. We open to that.
and be awake. We're not asked to change anything. It's suggesting just that we stay awake. And it's my experience, and I trust this, that in doing that, the, what will, you will see clearly what prevents us from simply being what we already are. We're, we're blossoms of flowers. We're leaves of trees. We're the water that you have so much of. <laughs> yeah. No, we fight with it all the time because we think it's not enough. I mean, it's a joke. So, I'm not saying that we don't make effort. We do. And I'm not saying that we don't, you know, have boundaries. There must be. I'm not saying that we don't recognize the horrific way we treat each other individually and socially and to the earth and I'm not denying that at all. I just want to remind us we don't have to, you know, fight with it. We just have to remember more what we already are. So in Sangha, we want to encourage each other to be authentic. And if it's difficult, you know, being authentic at first sometimes is problematic because we're not very skillful. If we've denied parts of ourselves for years and years and years, we won't be skillful when that part comes out. And so, you know, it'll be bumpy with each other. And so we, you know, offer feedback. I was going to say gentle feedback. Sometimes it's not so gentle. We don't feel it. It's gentle. But our way, Soto Zen, is a gentle path. It's one of the reasons I like it so much. We give each other feedback and we get better at expressing who we are and so on. And we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We give each other. Actually, we're pretty. it's good to be strict with ourselves, but with everybody else, the benefit of the doubt. Because everybody is trying the best they can. Everybody is doing the best they can, is my belief, my experience. Because, you know, Greg was reminding me of this the other day. It's not really our life anyway. It's life doing itself, and we're just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really, it is, in a way, it's kind of a cosmic joke, because when you finally are kind of free of the baggage of our conditioning, you know, you begin to be free. You know, you think in the beginning, you think, well, when that happens, you know, things are going to be like roses. And I like roses. Roses, but but you you but you actually you stay the same person. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like this very 
you know, it's a cosmic joke, sort of. That's not funny sometimes. <laughs> but you just feel free of the things that... You're free of the narrator. You know, you're not talking to yourself all the time. You're not telling yourself who you're supposed to be. You're not, you know, your mind is not whipping yourself constantly. You're just the funny sort of short, rather old woman (laughs) that you are right now. With the life that you had no idea you were going to lead, you know. <laughs> you just do your best, you know, you're just doing your best all the time, you just keep trying. So in the beginning, you know, when you first come to Sangha, you take, it's appropriate to take, you know, you take all of the you know, energy that your teacher is offering you, all of the open-hearted embrace that the teachers are offering you. And you work your stuff out on the Sangha, in a Sangha that more than not, you know, is willing <laughs> for you to be who you are up to a point. <laughs> <laughs> But then once you begin to not be so caught by your own mind, and you understand how to work with the things that arise, and you're emotionally stable and take full responsibility and have a taste maybe even of this, of what you are already, then you hold your hand out. And you do it for two reasons. One, because when you become more and more free of your own suffering, you know that 99% of the suffering that most people have is completely unnecessary. And so you want to You know what it feels like, and you want to help them as much as you can. And then also, because it's good for your own practice, you want to practice at the edge of your comfort. Always. And the community tells you what that is. <laughs> so you turn into a bodhisattva. You want to do that. Oh. to say one other thing. Um, I've uh, met some of you already a little bit, and I am I'm honored to be here with you practicing. 
I have felt your sincerity, your effort, your generosity, and I'm honored to be here with you. This mystery that we are wants to wake up. I don't know if you can say it that way, but it wants to through us. You know, we are. <laughs> we are the awakeness of this living planet. We're the consciousness of this living event. And I may say, you know, the world needs us to wake up. It doesn't take many, I don't think, I was going to say, what I'm thinking of is in a family system, if there's one person practicing, that family changes. You don't know how profound your practice ripples out into the world. It does. It ripples out far. And the world needs us. And I mean the whole world. The animals and the trees and the plants and the clouds, everybody, everything needs us to wake up. To live in a world that it is not in a, in a not violent way, in a way that is not coming from a place of separation, not coming from a place of greed or aversion. Open, patient, willing, non-judgmental, connected. generous. Life is short. So, enjoy it. And together we'll do help each other wake up and then go out and help the next person. I would like to read to you um, this short thing from uh, Shantideva from the um, Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life. Shantideva, did he, was he the first person who did the paramitas? No, where'd they come from? Buddha. Um, paramitas. I mean, paramitas are mentioned in Nagarjuna's. Oh. In early Nagarjuna's, so that's before Shantideva. Okay. Yeah. But Shantideva floated up. He did float up. <laughs> this is Bodhisattva 
may I be a protector for those without one, a guide for all travelers on the way. May I be a bridge, a boat, and a ship for all those who wish to cross the water. May I be an island for those who seek one and a lamp for those desiring light. May I be a bed for those who wish to rest. Just like space and all the great elements such as earth and wind and fire and water, may I always support the lives of all sentient beings. For all the realms of all the varied beings that reach into the ends of space and time. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.